T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We didn't start this project as a Mustang. As it was going along, it really became something that was let's just say not very inspirational <laughs> and it would have been more of a compliance vehicle. And we scratched those plans. We didn't want to be a part of that. And we said, what can we do to be inspirational, have people want it and desire it? We're leaning into electrification. We want to do it in a big way and in a way that only Ford can do. We said, what about a Mustang? That's the voice of Dave Parasat with Ford talking about something many people thought would never be invented, an electric Mustang. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air I'm Cisco Cotto. This week, we're taking an in-depth look at the Chicago Auto Show. It's still the nation's largest. Joining us this week, WBBM's Jennifer Kuyper. She's been covering all the action at this year's show. And Jennifer, at McCormick Place, some people were talking about the fact that Chicago is actually the first auto show of this year, something that it's normally not. What's going on? That's right. We see Los Angeles at the end of the year. So uh, this show now, Chicago show, starts off the New Year auto show season. However, it used to be Detroit until this year. Detroit has moved its show to June. It wanted to reinvent itself also. There's a lot of competition. You have the Chicago show going on at the same time that the Philadelphia show is going on. Before that, you have the Washington, D.C. show. In April, you will have the uh, New York show. So uh, you don't want too much competition because you might fear that the automakers might not pay attention to your show but the other shows. So I think that Detroit wanted to mix it up. And let's face it. Detroit in the middle of winter, not fun. And I think now that they've moved the show to June, they may be doing some thing, more things outside. Yeah, not a lot of people want to spend time outside in Detroit this time of year for sure. Uh, so as you're spending time there, what are you noticing about this year's auto show? I noticed a lot of media. Now, granted, I went on media day, but it seemed to be a little bit more compared to years past. And that may be because we didn't have Detroit this year. I noticed uh, a lot of fun exhibits. Um, this is a consumer show when you compare it to something like Detroit. Detroit's definitely the was the industry show because you have a lot of the CEOs who are based there from the, from the big three based in Detroit. We don't get that here. So we get some of the VPs, some of the maybe an engineer they might send us to talk to us. But uh, as far as the show go itself, it's very much family oriented here in Chicago. So you'll see a lot of simulators. Uh, some fun exhibits. And uh, it, the nice thing about the auto show is that you get to go into these vehicles. You can touch them, most of them. I shouldn't say all of them because some yeah, are pretty some expensive. Are a little pricey, right? right? Yeah, right. they don't. Yeah, I, you notice there's a rope, sir. Please don't cross <laughs> the rope. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But most of them you do get to get up, in, get up close and personal to. And uh, it's also nice to do, if you're in the market for a vehicle, it's nice to do that because you don't have that pressure, that sales pressure. On the business hour, the WBBM noon business hour, we've been talking about how it seems like sedans are, are sort of no longer in vogue. It's all trucks. It's all SUVs. What are you seeing at the show? Absolutely. Uh, we're seeing a lot of trucks and SUVs at the show. And one of the things I did was I sat down with Joe Weisenfelder, who is executive editor of Cars.com, to talk about some of their top vehicle picks, and this will display to you or give you as an example 
something that I'm talking about, which is the popularity of those vehicles as compared to sedans. He also talked to us a little bit about buying trends. Tell me about the best of award winners. Let's start with Luxury Car of the Year. Well, we got uh, some attention, some, some scandal by naming the Ram 1500 pickup truck as our luxury vehicle of the year, specifically the Laramie Longhorn and Limited trim levels. These versions of that pickup truck are so luxurious that we just kept coming back to them. And we ultimately chose them above like known luxury brands, other vehicles that we were considering. And the interesting thing is when we run into other people that are familiar with these vehicles, they're like, yep, they totally get it. Other people are kind of aghast. They're like, wait a minute, a pickup truck? And I think really all this has done is shined a light on on a trend that started decades ago, which is pickup trucks getting nicer and nicer inside to the point that we just couldn't get away from it. It's the most impressive thing we saw in the past year as it regards interior luxury from a vehicle. And bear in mind that we also consider the whole vehicle. We're not going to give an award to something that's super luxurious that's not a good vehicle in some other way. So it also reflects well on the Ram pickup for being an overall vehicle, being comfortable. I mean, it's engineered to ride comfortably as well with air spring suspension and stuff that a lot of pickups don't have. And it can even be efficient with with the diesel engine in particular. So it's a good vehicle overall. So all told, really impressive. And it rose to the top. What about family car of the year? The family car of the year is the Volkswagen Atlas, which had been our top award winner a couple of years ago. And the reason it's there is that partly lots of shoppers are looking for the minivan alternative. And when you look at three row SUVs that can seat, you know, seven, eight people, there are some that look really big on the outside, but aren't that roomy on the inside or aren't roomy in every seat. And that's exactly what the Atlas is. That third row is terrific. The second row is terrific. We recently did a comparison test of seven of these vehicles. And even though the Atlas came in third behind two others, for the family aspect, for that roominess, and also the accommodation of uh, child safety seats, which we also gauge uh, in all these vehicles, it was the absolute top. What about the most fun to drive vehicle? The most fun to drive vehicle was a Hyundai Veloster N. Some people know the Hyundai Veloster as that quirky coupe, but the Veloster N is a a performance version that, and some people are still trying to wrap their heads around the idea of Hyundai as a quality brand, much less a performance brand, but they got it. And this one impressed us for the same reason that so many vehicles of the past that we've chosen for this award is not just is it fun to drive and not just on a track, but in general driving, and that's what we look for. We're not looking for the ultimate performance car. I mean, there are other sources for that information. We want something that's fun uh, just in normal driving, and it doesn't have to be sporty. It could even be an off-road vehicle. Another one of our nominees was a Jeep Wrangler. We're talking about different kinds of fun. But this one in particular uh, was fun and also a great value. Powerful, very responsive. It comes only with a manual transmission, and we we were a little concerned about that. We know that's limiting, and we want our choices to be available to the masses and to be affordable. And yes, there's a limitation there, but we just couldn't get past how fun it was and how visceral the experience. And the weird thing is, even in vehicles costing twice as much, three times as much with great performance and, and track numbers, sometimes the feel vanishes. 
This vehicle, it's just, it's such a great visceral experience. It feels right. We had to name it our most fun to drive car of the year. Joe, tell me a little bit about buying trends you're seeing and who is buying cars today. What's interesting is uh, we've seen a lot of statistics that reflect that women, uh, in addition to buying cars, are influencing a lot of purchases. Uh, the numbers ex escape me, but it's, it's really kind of overwhelming, the influence that they have on purchases for family in particular, which is, I think, I guess is understandable when you think about it. But really everyone is buying, and one of the interesting things that we're learning now is that millennials are starting to buy. And we were always tickled and a little bit bemused by this notion that millennials weren't gonna buy cars and it was gonna destroy the automotive industry, especially because it was based on this notion that Millennials weren't buying cars because they weren't enthused by them. They like their phones, they don't like cars, and we thought that was ridiculous because it's not the only reason people buy cars because they like them, they buy cars because they need them. And sure enough, given time, we found that millennials are just a little slow to leave the nest, and now they are doing so. And lo and behold, when they do so, they need cars and they're starting to buy. What kind of cars are they buying? Well, just like uh, the generations before them, they seem to have a preference for more affordable vehicles, used vehicles, a little more interest in cars than maybe the rest of the population, uh, as opposed to SUVs. And I think this is, again, we don't have data going back too far because Cars.com itself is only about 22 years old. But I don't think millennials are like an entirely different species. I think, aside from that, leaving the nest later, they just seem to be taking their place as the newest young generation. And a young, youngest generation that is making less money and spending less money on vehicles, it doesn't seem like a new thing to me. That's always been the case. And it just seems to be a repeat of that, that they're interested in more affordable vehicles than maybe people who are older or have been around longer. That's interesting to me, Jennifer, because for so long there was this fear that young people we're going to go with Uber and Lyft and the L and that they just would decide not to buy cars anymore. That's just not what the industry is seeing. Though. That's right. That's right. And when they are going to buy cars, it looks like they're looking for SUVs, but smaller ones. So affordable, right? affordable yeah, and smaller. That, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. The other thing that people are starting to look at is electric. Now, I think that I had seen that it, there were fewer electric vehicles at this year's auto show. I counted about 15 of them. One of them, the Mach-E, and that falls under Ford's category this is Mustang. Incredible. I I know. Mean, this is literally like the futuristic vehicle that no one ever thought would actually happen. Well, and there's an interesting story to this as well, and I don't want to give any details because I talked with Ford's director of icons, Dave Parasak, about this. And this is about the all-electric Mustang. Right? You got it, the Mach-E. Dave, you put this under the pony car name. You put an electric vehicle. Right. Do people think you're crazy, or what, what are you hearing? Yeah, they think we're nuts. Um, I think that, you know, the initial response was, why would you do that, right? Uh, and we didn't take this lightly. I think it's really important that people understand the decision-making that went, you know, that we took to get to this point. In fact, we didn't start this project as a Mustang. As it was going along, it really became something that was, let's just say, not very inspirational, <laughs> and it would have been more of a compliance vehicle. And we scratched those plans. We didn't want to be a part of that. And we said, what can we do to be inspirational, have people want it and desire it? We're leaning into electrification. We want to do it in a big way, and in a way that only Ford can do. We said, 
what about a Mustang? And so there was a lot of discussion, Bill Ford, all, everybody in the company, you know, should we do this? If we're going to do it, it has to be a Mustang. It has to perform like a Mustang. Like you can't just put a badge on it. We all knew that, right? And so uh, we didn't take decision lightly. But we did ultimately make the decision. I was part of making that decision. Uh, I've been a part of Mustang for many years now inside Ford. And um, this is a Mustang. And we're excited. I'm excited. So people that are now seeing it and getting used to what we're doing and, and explaining what's happening, they're starting to get it, and they're like, this makes sense. And the biggest thing for people to know, we, we're adding a pony to the stable. We're not taking anything away. We're still going to do the fire-breathing 760 horsepower GT500s. We love those, but now we're putting another pony in the stable. It's just another, it's just another ride. Is this a future of Ford? I mean, even your own boss, the CEO, has come out of that, that division uh, where you're looking at the, the, the alternative vehicles. So does this signal the direction of where Ford's going? Oh, well, sure. I mean, the whole industry is, is obviously leaning into electrification. We're looking at all of our options. We're not just, you know, bought into one propulsion system, but electrification is hugely important. And so we are leaning into that, and we're doing it in a big way. We've announced that we would electrify the F-150. We're, we're, you know, obviously we're electrifying, you know, the Mustang. We are, in Europe, we're talking about transit, right? So we're looking at those things that are core to us and our business and what we're good at, and we're that's where we're leaning into how electrification can further assist and make those products even better. With F-150, it's all about work. So how can electrification help work? And then in, in performance, it's all about Mustang. So, yeah, this is big. It's a big deal for us. So tell me, if I get a Mustang and I get this Mach-E, I want power, what am I going to get? Oh, man, you're going to get tons of power. So the GT version of the Mach-E is going to have 460 horsepower. That's amazing, right? Over 600 foot-pounds of torque. And here's the difference. It's instantaneous power. So that's what most people don't understand about electric vehicle. You have that power. The minute you hit that accelerator, it is there. This is so fun to drive. It's ridiculous. Tell me about it. Tell me what it's like to drive it. Oh, my God. It's amazing. So as soon as you uh, get in the car, you, you feel the feel that you get in, in a Mustang, but in a modern way, right? And then when you go and hit that accelerator, it throws you back in the seat and you're accelerating at a rate that is just exhilarating. But then when you go to make your first turn, you realize that this isn't an SUV. Remember, there's batteries in this thing. So that batteries lower the center of gravity. It's not too far from a regular Mustang as far as center of gravity goes. So as you go through corners and as you turn it, it handles and feels like a Mustang. It's just nothing but fun because the power is there instantaneously every time you hit the throttle. Range is going to be a big deal on this one because people, you know, you try to sell them on that. And, and range, you know, I have to say, has gotten much better in all vehicles yeah. uh, compared to what it used to be when it first started out. But tell me about the range of this. Yeah, so range is hugely important. We feel that 300 miles is the point at which people feel very comfortable and that no longer becomes range anxiety is this thing we heard talk about, right? But at 300 miles, people tend not to, that, that's good, that, check the box. So this vehicle has a 300-mile range. Now, not every version of it will. It depends if we're talking all-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, extended batteries, you know, standard batteries, the, the GT version. But generally, it has a 300-mile range for sure, and the other variants are not too far from that. So we've spent a lot of time to make sure we can get that kind of range out of the vehicle. So let's have a little fun, something outside of this. Did you see Ford versus Ferrari? I did see Ford. And your take? So it's a lot of fun. You know, what you may not know about me is uh, I've been in performance my, most of my career at Ford. I actually led the development of the Ford GT and the race team that took it back to Le Mans won in 2016. Wow. So Ford versus Ferrari has a lot to me because we went back 50 years later and we beat Ferrari again. Um, so a lot of people have asked me, you know, how is it? Is it what it's like? Look, it's Hollywood, but I will tell you this, it's a great story, and I think they did a great job with it, and uh, it truly was, uh, you know, an American story that still lives today that people like to talk about, so if you haven't seen it, if people haven't seen it, they should go see it, it's an amazing story. So I know you're a little biased on this one, but you think this is going to be one of the hot cars at the show? Oh, yeah, absolutely, it's going to be one of the cars at the show. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to say anything different, but I thought I'd give it a shot. Dave, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me.
an all-electric Mustang. Now, Jennifer, do they they really think that they're going to have the power there, that it's going to have the feel of the Mustang? Hey, listen, that's what Dave said. I mean, he said we wouldn't have put the name on it if it wasn't going to perform. At some point, I'm going to have to try this out because I have this picture in my head of my eight-year-old son's little remote-controlled car (laughs) that's Uh battery-powered. You know, it it may look like a Mustang, but it's not a Mustang. Uh, but the, the engineers are really talented. I'm sure they can figure They're it out. They're sticking by it. Yeah. All right. So that's the eye candy, and mm-hmm. there's lots of that at the auto show. Uh, what about the everyday level people who are actually thinking about buying a car? Well, that was a stop to talk to Steve Majoros with Chevrolet, and they unveiled the refreshed Chevy Equinox, which is an SUV in Chicago here. That was debuted here at the show. Also, they're spotlighting the Chevy Trailblazer, a smaller SUV. And we also talked to GM about its dedication to sedan, something that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. The Equinox is a workhorse in our portfolio, and it's in the compact SUV segment where fully 20% of all retail sales exist. So it's a very important segment for not just Chevrolet, but the industry. Uh, Equinox has always been great at pretty much everything, safety, technology, efficiency, capability. Uh, And now we're giving it a great new look, front end and rear. So fascias, lighting, wheels, colors, to really align more with the overall Chevrolet design theme. So we're really excited about what this is going to do for us. Does this have any more power? Same engine portfolio, same powertrain. It's really much a, a design based refresh, a little bit of new technology, uh, but it's really about bringing it you know, up to speed with what we've done with a lot of other great products from a design standpoint. What kind of demo are you looking to attract with this? Well, the interesting thing about Equinox is we like to say, you know, this covers the waterfront from, you know, young people, young singles, young families, grandparents, and all points in between. It's really hard to pin down one specific target when, you know, Chevrolet alone sold almost 300,000 retail units last year. So uh, it really is a highly versatile product for pretty much anyone that's looking for uh, a, a number of different needs. And we're looking at another one here that's slightly smaller. Yeah, so uh, the two products here are Chevy Trailblazer. These compete in the small SUV segment. It's the industry's fastest growing segment. We had an entry here right now called Chevrolet Trax, but this gives us a nice one-two punch. This vehicle is a little bit bigger, uh, offers a little bit more technology capability, great new Chevrolet design theme. So no matter what you're looking for in the small SUV segment, Chevy's going to have you covered. Steve, you work with cars and crossovers. I'm a sedan lover. Yeah. Are you still sticking with cars? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've got a number of cars on the stand today. I mean, there's no doubt that we've done things to kind of thin our car portfolio out. Uh, We see a tremendous amount of migration from cars into crossovers and SUVs, but we do see a lot of people like yourself that stay with traditional sedans. We have a Malibu and been a big part of our uh, portfolio, continues to be so today. Uh, We have uh, Spark and Sonic that cover a lot of sedan or hatchback proportion on the low end. So we still have a lot to offer customers in that space, but we're seeing exactly what's happening in the marketplace, and we want to make sure we're ready to meet that demand, and we're going to do it with products like Equinox trailblazer and tracks. What's the biggest challenge when it comes to SUVs in attracting someone because there are so many on the market? What is it that you say, hey, ours is better and this is why? Well, I mean, a big part of it is is we like to talk about the parent brand. And so Chevrolet as a brand in general has tremendous capability incredibly when it comes to SUVs and crossovers. So uh, that's one thing that uh, what happens with a lot of when you have so many different entries, a lot of people default to what's the parent brand. So people feel really good about Chevrolet. They think that we have got great offerings. We've got capability, credentials. We got a strong dealer network. So sometimes it's just top of mind you think about Chevrolet. And then once you think about Chevrolet, then we help them say, what exactly are you looking for? Is it size, capability, room, price point? And the good thing that we like to think is we have the waterfront cover when it comes to meeting individual needs, no matter what they're looking for. All right. What are we looking at here? It's pretty shiny and orange. Well, we are looking at uh, the brand new 2020 mid-engine Chevrolet Corvette. We happen to be standing in front of the convertible model. We have a coupe available. Probably the most anticipated product 
product in, uh, I would say, Chevrolet history, and we did not disappoint with uh, it really fulfilling Corvette's destiny to move it from a front-engine sports car to a mid-engine configuration. That's a big move for us, but it was really what was envisioned for Corvette over 60 years ago, and it's finally come to fruition. As a matter of fact, we just announced that on Monday, we started formal retail production for the Corvette Stingray Coupe. Convertible starts a couple months from now, and we anticipate that we'll be delivering on what has been incredible demand by the end of this month. Uh, we'll start deliveries to dealers or early next month. So it's been a, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of excitement for the car, and we're very excited the fact that we'll be delivering these cars very soon. Power, torque, give me an idea. Well, 495 horsepower with our Z51 performance package. It's the most powerful Corvette uh, in it, with the exception of our ZR1 from last year. So in its base configuration, this vehicle is incredibly more capable. And when you move to a mid-engine configuration, you can do things with weight distribution, vehicle handling. So it's not just power, but it's controlled power. So when you add things like Z51 performance package and a number of other things that really make this car punch above its weight class. I mean, this is competing now with world-class supercars that are cost two, three, four, five, six times as much. Oh, just saw the trunk go down too. Kind of a neat little trick there. Yep, well, uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of things that, that make this vehicle uh, incredibly designed but incredibly functional. Uh, yes, standing in front of the uh, the convertible, what we have for both coupe and convertible is storage in both the rear and the front. So behind the mid-engine, there's storage in the back. There's also what we call a frunk in the front where you can actually <laughs> lift up and have some storage there as well. So, uh, you know, you want to be able to have a car that is a great drive experience but if you can't take anything with you it doesn't really make it much of a driving experience so you know we've got things that you can fit a, a traditional travel size golf bag in the back if you want a traditional airport you know carry-on luggage bag fits in the front so it's a very high performance car but it's a great everyday driver and a car you can live with every day people do want storage they also want affordability they're really trying to have it all and i'm wondering if you've talked to anyone jennifer who I uh, was able to comment on gas prices. I'm thinking because it's still so low, maybe that's why they're still able to sell trucks and SUVs and people can still get space and still not spend a lot of money on gas. Well, sure. One of the concerns during the recession was that gas prices were high and these were gas guzzlers, the SUVs and the trucks. Those vehicles are more fuel efficient these days, but the auto industry cannot count on that and they cannot they cannot count on the gas prices always being low. And that's one of the reasons we've seen them turn to electric vehicles so that they kind of pad themselves when we do see a turn. And we may see more of the more of those vehicles being sold down the road. However, one thing that has held the industry back with electric vehicles is that we don't have those charging stations. We don't have enough of them. But they have come a long way in just the last couple of years because now uh, I park every day in a lot where I see a lot more of those and uh, some of them even sponsored by particular automakers. Yeah, I've heard quite a bit about younger people. Well, yeah, okay, gas prices are low, but there's an environmental consciousness. They want the electric vehicle because they don't want uh, to be using gasoline. And so it seems like they're going to push forward with that demand no matter what. Yeah, I think yeah. electric is is here. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the uh, the autonomous cars or vehicles, and I think that's not going to be mainstream definitely anytime soon. I mean, that'll be more of the fleet vehicles. But for us everyday drivers, I can I can definitely see more electric vehicles on the road. I already do see a lot of them on the road. So the word now for all of us to remember is frunk. <laughs> that's right with the is that, Corvette. Is that right? <laughs> frunk. A frunk. The trunk up front. <laughs> Junk in the frunk. Right, is, right. <laughs> is that what this is now? When he said that, it was hard to keep a straight face. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah you're trying to be the straight-laced reporter there, and someone says frunk, and I, I don't know how you do it. That's right. It's hard. Uh, all right, so we have one more conversation, and this is about a brand that is ordinarily all about the outdoors. That's right. 
right, The Gladiator. It has won several awards and the most recent from Kelly Blue Book. They won that shortly before I stopped and talked to Jim Morrison, who is the vice president and head of the Jeep brand for North America. And The Gladiator, just if you're not familiar with it, is Jeep's trip back to the pickup truck. We're standing beside the uh, Gladiator, which is the North American Truck of the Year. So we're very proud of uh, the awards that uh, we continue to grab. But most importantly, uh, we're important that uh, we continue to bring new customers into the Jeep brand. Tell me about the Gladiator in particular. Why was the decision, how did it come about to go back to the pickup? Well, you know, we had a pickup in our history, and one of the things that we do uh, the Jeep brand is we try to pay attention to our, our customers, and we've got a really good relationship with them. Almost 20 million people socially are very passionate Jeep owners, and one of the things they kept telling us was, you know, give us a pickup truck, and you know, to help with their uh, their lifestyles. You know, whether uh, you know their their families expanding and going camping, or whether they're taking dirt bikes, you know, to go uh, play in the weekends, uh, or whether they needed to do chores uh, around their their house and around their farms, uh, like I do. It's just a, a great vehicle to uh, to have, and and as fun as uh, Wrangler can be, and as versatile as Wrangler can be, and certainly as capable. The, um, the natural extension of that was to have a real true pickup truck. So it's designed from the bottom up. It's a real true pickup truck. It does 1,600 pounds of payload, uh, over 6,000 pounds of, uh, of towing, which is great for a uh, truck, but it's also you know, very capable four-wheel drive, throw any sort of winter that uh, Chicago can at it, and, uh, and it'll tackle it. And it's, uh, it's a Jeep, so it's just really cool to have uh, the drive every day. I tested it out at a rally. It was a pretty smooth ride, surprisingly to me for a Jeep. I thought, man, eh, yes. I'm not sure about this, but it was very smooth. Yes, it is. You know, the extra wheelbase, uh, you know, really helps, you know, smooth it out. And, and uh, it's, you know, got a five-foot box, so you can put a lot of stuff in it and really have a lot of fun with this Gladiator. And you really hit it at a hot time in the market with the pickup truck sales being as gangbusters as they are. Yes, you know, the market is continuing to grow, and we're bringing new customers into the marketplace with uh, the Jeep Gladiator and uh, continuing to uh, expand that uh, mid-size pickup truck segment, which is, uh, which is good for everybody. Jim, you have more than just the Gladiator here, though, so tell me what you have. What else? Well, you know, we've got the new Wrangler. We've got a new uh, Recon version of the, uh, the Rubicon uh, right over there for Wrangler. And then today uh, we're introducing the high-altitude versions of Wrangler and Gladiator, great vehicles that have all uh, body color look, black wheels, 20-inch wheels for the first time on a Wrangler and a Gladiator. And uh, you know we really upped the uh, the interior too with full leather quilting seats and and uh, wrap dashes and doors. It's incredible to see luxury and technology continuing to expand in our what uh, used to be utilitarian vehicles with Wrangler, and um, you know now it's uh, it's it's a vehicle that looks amazing. It's capable and it's got some great uh, technology and uh, good looks to go along with it. What would you say out of all the gadgets that Jeep features? What's what's the neatest one you think? Well, you know I think for Jeep. We're all about uh, capability, and and uh, that kind of leads to what we're other thing we're showing here today, which is our uh, our first desert ray Jeep called Mojave, and uh, its gadget is to have really cool shocks, and it actually has shocks that uh, keep the vehicle from bottoming out. You know, so if the vehicle is going uh, really fast through the sand and and uh, um, these hydraulic jounce bumpers are kind of our neat gadget that we're introducing here today. It's it's very tech, it's a very four by four tech geeky thing to do, uh, but that's Jeep and and that's all about capability and it's all about purpose built. So that's what Mojave does. It does uh, sand running at speed in four wheel drive better than anybody with uh, with some of this new tech. You're such a different game, and so it's kind of hard to ask. You know, like 
how does electric play out for you guys in the future, anything like that? Um, what would you say is the future with Jeep? Well, you know, we've, we've tripled down on our commitment to, uh, to electric, and in fact, uh, at CES uh, here uh, last month, we showed three Jeep vehicles, we call them 4xE, and uh, they're, they're plug-in electric vehicles, and uh, um, they're incredibly capable and quiet. So if you can imagine a Wrangler, open-air freedom, quietly driven by electric, now with, uh, you know, with um, an, an engine backup, that, uh, that gives great performance and, uh, and great fuel economy and uh, great environmentally friendliness. So we're gonna bring them to uh, America. We've committed to uh, all the Jeeps in the range by 2022. And uh, it's a great way to expand our four-wheel drive legendary uh, capability into, uh, into the electric, which is you know, really uh, gonna take four-wheel drive capability to the next level. For so now we have an electric Jeep. Earlier we talked about an all-electric Mustang. Uh, I'm, I'm just, is, is there an electric Humvee on the horizon here? <laughs> well, I'm just, well, you, know, you know, who knows, it would, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk out there, that's for sure. <laughs> all but, of these vehicles you never expected to be all electric, and right. they're doing it. They're and, doing it. and Jeep says it's the future in some of the vehicles. He mentioned the Compass, the Renegade, and the Wrangler, that they showed those off at the Consumer Electronics Show, not an auto show. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Any uh, thoughts on the industry this year? What they expect? How do they expect sales to be? I, I don't think we have any labor stoppages on the horizon like no. we did last year. GM got rid of that. They took care of that. Uh, and it really didn't hurt them as much as we thought it might. But one of the things to keep an eye out for is how many vehicles are sold this year. And analysts are expecting it to be under the 17.1 million vehicle units that, that sold last year. Um it, some analysts say it could be as low as 16.6 million, which is not really terrible, uh, but it is definitely, it would be a slowdown if that's the case. And I'll tell you what, I've covered this industry since the vehicle, you know, two of the vehicle makers went through bankruptcy. And I can tell you one thing, this is the longest road, one of the longest roads that I've ever seen when it comes to pent up demand and how long it has continued. Yeah, and it seems like there's no end in sight for that. Obviously, the automakers are really hoping for that. That's right. And as long <laughs> as they offer vehicles that are fun, that we can afford, <laughs> and as long as consumer sentiment remains high, then I think they're in good shape. But if they're, there are always unforeseen factors. Gas prices, we mentioned earlier, could be another factor. Um, and if they cut corners and we start having problems with certain vehicles, you know, that always plays into the sales as well. That's WBBM's Jennifer Kuiper. Always fun to talk with you and especially to talk about the auto show. Thanks for joining us for this week's in-depth podcast. Join us next week for an in-depth look at the fast-spreading, deadly coronavirus. And be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.